The Senate's reauthorization bill covers everything surface, including electric vehicles and scooters. But also written into the language unveiled two weeks ago is consideration of freight connectivity during bad weather. The bill, America's Transportation Infrastructure Act of 2019, calls for strategies that would prepare our freight network for severe weather events and an evaluation of states' parking facilities and rest stops for commercial vehicles. Another nod to resilience and recognition that goods need to keep moving, even when storms pound communities and threaten economies. This is Hard Facts. I'm Robert Johnson. States are the focus today. They plan, design, build, and help fund the nation's infrastructure. So how are they feeling about the Senate's first attempt at a six-year plan? We asked that question to Carlos Braceres, president of the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials and executive director of the Utah Department of Transportation. Here's what he had to say. Well, you know, I had an opportunity. Well, I've testified to EPW I can't count really how many times, but I was there just about three weeks ago. And so we knew a bill was going to be popped. Uh, we knew the, uh, you know, we've been working closely, the ASHTO staff with the committee staff were working really hard. They had that deer in the headlights look because they had kind of been given the charge to get this out before we go on recess. And, you know, we were there, I think it was the second week of July, and you could see that, you know, they were in panic mode. They had a lot of work to do. But the committee was committed to work in a bipartisan fashion because fundamentally they understand that transportation is one of those fundamental roles of government and that it serves as a foundation for the economy and quality of life for the entire country. It helps keep us competitive. And so there's absolutely the desire um, from this committee to drive that bill forward. They wanted to help lead the conversation. And uh, Chairman Barrasso and Ranking Member Carper were just together. You can see together on wanting to get to that point. So we're excited both at, as an association, as ASHTO, that this was put forward. We think the bill has a lot of good stuff. A lot of things we've been pushing for are in there. I think it's going to be good for every state in the country. And, uh, you know, now it's, you know, we, we have a numerous other committees that are going to need to step up to the plate and uh, do their work as well. But the chairman and the uh, ranking member did a great job getting this bill to this point. Well, you're right about that. It is just a first step, but it's a big one because we've been waiting quite a while to see some language. We are about a year away from the end of the FAST Act. Yep. You have to be pleased that we've got a little more time maybe to work through this before that one runs out. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is that most politicians don't appreciate is DOTs, you know, in order to do the work we're doing today out there that, you know, the construction that DOTs are doing today, they've had in a funded program for at least four years, and they've been doing the environmental and the planning many years before that. And so I have had to make assumptions on what the federal funding will be well past the end of the FAST Act. And every DOT makes different assumptions in terms of what that funding level will be, because when we put a project on what we call our state transportation implementation program, the STIP, it's essentially a promise. That's how I see it. It's a promise to the public that we're going to deliver this project in this year. And so I had to make the decision. I made the decision, well, I'm going to assume the new reauthorization is going to be flat from the FAST Act funding. So that's what I've programmed at. Now, if they can, you know, in this bill that EPW pushed out has some growth in it. And so being able to add projects is a lot easier than taking projects away. But every DOT is having, you know, they're out on a limb 
not knowing what that funding level is going to be. So having EPW step forward, and this was a big step. It's really nice to see it. You know, we're about 13 months before the expiration of the FAST Act. It's so exciting to see this. And you know what? They get it. These guys, these ladies on this committee, they get the need. They get that transportation is important, and they pushed it forward. You come back here to work with members of Congress to tell them what's important to the states. You must be pretty excited now to have a bill to hold in your hand, something to point to and work from. Yeah, this is absolutely, Robert, you're right on. This is a big deal. And this shows progress. And somebody has to take the first step forward. And for EPW to do this, we are so pleased to see this happen. What did you like about the bill? You said there were some things in there that were pretty exciting to the states. Tell us about those. The continuation of the federal-state partnership. Really, that has been the success towards us building this nation's highway system and transit systems has been that relationship between that the states own, operate, and implement the program, and the feds are partners in helping deliver that program. It maintains that relationship, which is really so important. It recognizes that you know about 90% of the money will continue through the formula funding. So what that means is local governments, our cities, our counties, our states can continue to make the decisions. What's the right project to do at the right time? And that way we get better outcomes. If you know, We don't need Washington telling me what projects to work on. I need them to work in partnership to help us deliver the program that my local governments feel are important. Now, those fundamental principles were there, and we're really happy to see those. What about the idea of cutting red tape? That's always an issue that DOTs have to deal with. There was a lot in there about that. Yes, there is. That was something that the committee was very passionate about. And, you know, I don't think anyone likes red tape. So there was a lot of focus on looking for ways to make the process of delivering the projects more efficient. There's also finding that balance point. You know, a lot of people have said, well, we don't want you to steamroll a project across the regulations. So it's recognizing that there's important regulations for us to address, but it streamlines the process for us to be able to address those. And it's a continuation. The FAST Act made some big changes for us. And even the, the bills before that, there was there's this continual evolution to make us be able to deliver the public's projects in a more efficient way. At the end of the day, we want to put the money on the roads, on the bridges. We want to build more pavements. We want to build more bridges. We don't want to spend money on process where we don't have to. Of the streamlining provisions that you've already managed to implement over the last few years, are you seeing results in the projects you're doing there in Utah? Yes. I mean, we took advantage of what I think was one of the bigger opportunities, and it's what they call NEPA assignment. So NEPA is the National Environmental Policy Act. That's the environmental process that all states go through. And Congress allowed states to assume that delegation of authority to be able to be the decision makers on those NEPA documents. And what that forces a state to do, you really have to stand up and address your public and explain why you're making what decisions you're making. But it has sped up that environmental process, and it's made us more, we brought those projects to construction quicker because of that. And, uh, you know, Federal Highways was such a huge champion uh, to help states do this. This wasn't something Congress said, and Federal Highways was feeling bad about it, and they stood in their way. They jumped up and said, how can we help you? And uh, we've seen some tremendous results from that.
How do the states feel about the dollar amount that's included in this first chop at the bill? You know, I think we were relieved and we're pleased to see that it recognizes the need for increases above the level of the FAST Act. And so there's still a lot more need out there than this bill addresses. But this is a recognition of that need and it's a movement in the right direction. So we're very pleased. Of course, the big question on money is the pay for question. That that is now in the Senate side, at least moving over to the Finance Committee. They've not said much about that yet. The implication in the reporting here is that it's yet to be taken up. Uh, How do the states from your AASHTO position feel about the pay for question? Well, you know, that's always the difficult question. I'm going to answer this first from a Utah perspective, and then I'll get to your question, Robert, because, you know, I view the highway program, and my state legislature does as well, as an ongoing program, meaning that you pay for ongoing programs with ongoing money. And Congress, over the last two authorizing bills, has basically used one-time money. I would even go as far as to say a little bit of gimmickry to be able to find ways to find the pay-fors for these bills. Now, that being said, every state in the country relies tremendously on the federal program. We encourage the Finance Committee to find a way to pay for the bill. I'd like to see it done in a way that's sustainable. See, part of the problem that using the one-time money has resulted in uh, over the last two bills is, you know, we're now about $90 billion for a five-year bill short. And so the pay-for has gotten much bigger than it did under MAP-21. And uh, so you kind of dig a deeper hole when you use one-time money. And so we would encourage finance to look for ways to find ongoing funding for the Highway Trust Fund so it's sustainable into the future. Of course, some of your member states have gone out and addressed this issue on their own. They've raised their gas taxes or found other funding streams that are local to address construction needs. Uh, I suppose AASHTO stays silent on that because every state is allowed to do what they want to do, what their local Mm -hmm. constituents choose. Uh, Do you see any of those ideas, though, that they're doing there in the states amongst your constituents flowing up to Washington as this part of the conversation plays out? Absolutely. So um, I'll give you some examples. About 35 states since about 2013 have passed some form of revenue package. And so I think that's important. The states are stepping up. In Utah, we've done a gas tax increase. We've indexed the gas tax, which not a lot of states have an indexed gas tax. But we also have a, we take down 21% of the statewide sales tax for capacity projects. So our federal portion of our budget's about 19%. Now we're one of the states that where our federal money is the smaller percentage on us. Other states get up in the 50 to 60% reliance on the federal formula. So one of the ideas that um, I spoke about in my testimony and that we are implementing here in the state of Utah, and we're implementing it in a phased approach, our legislature told us that by January of 2020, we will have a vehicle miles traveled fee that will be optional for the efficient vehicles, the electric and hybrid vehicles, for them to pay in lieu of their registration fee. And so I'm a believer that gas tax is still very viable, and I think it's going to be viable in the next 15, possibly 20 years. But we need to begin that transition to something that's much more user-based. 
we're starting to lose the connection between how much you use versus how much you pay. And using a vehicle miles traveled fee is a much more direct way to pay for what you use, like a utility bill, a cell phone bill, whatever it might be. And so I've been bringing that idea to Washington. Oregon really is in the first state to step forward to implement a program like that. We'll be the second state with a program implemented. And uh, I think that's an idea that Congress needs to consider in terms of what's the right way to phase into this type of thing. Because, you know, as we've been given the mission, we're less than six months away. There's a lot more questions than we thought when we started it. And there are so many kinds of mobility options today, they don't all rely on gasoline. So uh, people are going to have to get used to a a mix of financing solutions, it seems. The need is too big. The future will be a mix. What's missing from the Senate's draft, in your opinion? I'm not all that focused, completely focused on all the details at this point, because we're going to be going through a series of changes and adjustments. But I think the outline there is very comprehensive. You feel like most of the bases, the important ones anyway, have been covered? I do. We haven't heard from the House yet, uh, but we can expect that the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee will have its own version of a bill which is a great thing in this democracy of ours, more ideas to kick around. How do you feel about that side of the equation? What have your conversations been like on behalf of the states with the committee and its members and its staff? Yeah, and, and we have great relationships with the TNI staff. Historically, both you know the, the rank, the minority side and the majority side, there's real professionals working on that committee staff. They're very focused on trying to get to a bill. They've been having hearings. I mean, the last hearing that we participated, we had the uh, director of Idaho DOT, Brian Ness, participate in that, um, and they were focused that around research programs. So they were looking to try to best understand in terms of what the next authorizing bill, what type of research provisions should be contained in that. So TNI is still in that building the blocks for what their bill would be. That's how I would put it at this point and how I interpret where they want to go. Um, When I talk to the chairman, he feels strongly that it needs to be a big, bold bill, but it has to be coupled with process reforms along the way. This is not going to be just a big money bill. This has to have process pieces associated with it. So here you have the Democratic side saying that as well. He's also obviously focused on uh, vehicle miles traveled. He believes in that. But they're looking to see, I think they're looking for what that more substantial change in what the uh, the program might look like. And so they still haven't put any uh, meat to that. Well, they have a little bit of time, but we would hope that we'll get to see their version of the bill sometime not too long from now so that we can begin to really hash out the differences and, and find a bill that maybe could even get to the president before the end of next year. How does that sound? I think we need to do this I feel the need for a little bit more speed. I, I think we start to get lost in the conversation of an election. Some people feel that it's starting to happen this fall. I think I think we have until, I'll say, March, April of next year to really get some stuff done. And then I think after that, the election will start to wash out a lot of big things. But I'll tell you this, I met with our president on transportation and 
he is, you know, he likes to say he's an infrastructure guy. He's a builder. He wants to do something. So, and he has tried to give cover for Congress on revenue increases. And so I believe if there's a close partnership between the administration and both sides of Congress, they can actually do something significant. You've been watching this process for a long time from Utah, and all of these positions that you've held, uh, both uh, at Ashto and then with ITS America. Do you feel like the last year or so, the last two years, maybe even since the election was finalized for president, that we've had more conversation this cycle than before on the issue of transportation, infrastructure, finance, policy? those issues? Absolutely. I mean, hands down, the conversations about infrastructure, you know, of which transportation is a part of it, there's been more of it. It's been more comprehensive. And I have never seen as much outreach from the administration, from Secretary Chow's office, from the White House in asking what can they do to help us and give us ideas of things we can implement. They're very open to look for opportunities for improvements. And you've got some leadership on both committees that are mm-hmm. pretty pumped about transportation, maybe more so than some that we've had in the past. Well, you know, T and I had Bill Schuster was very pumped up kind of guy. But yes, I think we have some I'm very excited about what we have right now, um, on both the House side and the Senate side. They want to get this done. They see how important it is. And they're both saying the right things in terms of not making this partisan. That's a great committee to be on if you're in Congress, because you get to uh, really work on some things that are truly bipartisan, which is what you talked about Mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, You know, it's nice to do stuff that makes a difference. And this is stuff that makes a difference for every community in this country. When you talked about trying to get this done by spring because of the presidential election, are you saying that what you really don't want is an extension? Extensions are hard. And, you know, the reason it's hard is that for multiple reasons. One, as I spoke earlier, you know, we have to make assumptions of what we put in our four-year program. And then when they do extensions, they usually don't give us the, you know, they don't give us, you know, they'll give us three months maybe. They'll extend to December. And so that means I have only three months of my 12 years authorized amount to spend what I like to do in Utah, we have we have four seasons. I like to get my projects advertised in the fall. That way, contractors have more time to bid those. If they have more time to bid them, I can get more competitive bids, more value for the taxpayer's dollar, and then they're ready to go to construction in the spring. If they only give me three-twelfths of my authority to advertise projects, that means I'm advertising projects in the spring when prices are higher and there's less competition. And then I might not get that job done next construction season. So extensions are really hard for us in the DOT to manage. And they can keep you from putting new projects on the street, can't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, you know, I could have a project all ready to go, ready to advertise, but if I don't have the money, hasn't been authorized to spend, you know, if I'm in an extension, I've already spent three-twelfths of my my years, obligated three-twelfths of my year's money, then I'm holding projects. And then you run into delays that can extend much further than you would really like them to. Uh, Costs go up. Everything just starts to run out of control, I would imagine. Yep. And so it becomes, you know, it just adds another layer of complexity to, you know, DOTs. It adds a layer of complexity to my contractors and their suppliers. 
you know, because what happens then is the, the you know the extension gets fixed. You open the floodgates, and it's just this mad, crazy rush. And it doesn't give people the time they need to do things in the right way. And it kicks you in Utah out of your routine, which, in your view, is the best way to do this. Exactly. We've we've set it up. We have a routine that our contractors know, and we're able to be able to deliver those projects in a way that you know it saves taxpayers dollars if we have that if we know what's coming that surety. And extensions do not give us that. From your perspective, watching this for the states as the president of Ashto, what are we looking for between now and the end of the year? What are some of the telltale signs that will be on your radar that you'll be trying to keep an eye out for, uh, you know, to know what's going on? What should we be keeping an eye on? Well, you mentioned the Finance Committee. We need the Finance Committee to start putting some products out and start um, having conversations around how they can fund this. And we need T&I to start putting a package out. You know, we need to ultimately, T&I needs to put that out, then we need to get this to committee. And um, that's where a lot of the work will take place. So those two committees, T&I and finance, we need to see signs that those that they're moving forward on this. Uh, I think that would be a really next positive signal. Because this is momentum that we don't want to lose. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, that's why I applaud EPW, Chairman Brasso and, and Ranking Member Carper. They knew it would have to be pushed, and they let out, and they've pushed. They've done their job. Next week, we're talking about the benefits of using alternative fuels in the production of sustainable cement and concrete building materials. That's Wednesday, August 21st on Hard Facts, a podcast production of the Portland Cement Association. I'm Robert Johnson. I'll see you then.